and Lord, we stick with it. We love you. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen to all of that. Good morning. You guys are just awesome. Truly are. <laughs> what a blessing to be here to worship, to share together. Um, we have been endeavoring to talk about regeneration, and we've been talking about it in two ways. So just by way of reminder, as I'm supposed to get to where I'm supposed to be here, there it is. Regeneration begins with something like this. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus um, expresses his purpose, and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He has come to the poor, captive, blind, oppressed. Come to do what? Specifically, the gospel. To preach the kingdom of God. To preach everything we just sang about. That there is hope, there is a reason and a means in which we can be restored, to be regenerated. The results of his coming are actual liberty in real time in your life and mine today. Not something down in the future where heaven shows up, but the whole point is, is we need it now, don't we? I need something today to live on, to get through, to be free, to be in and recovered, to, to live a life of overcoming is the objective. And at the very heart, the very glory of the gospel, the reason it is more valuable than any treasure, the reason it is, there's nothing like we just sang, is that it provides total and complete forgiveness in one's life. For all who embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is regeneration. Let's pray. Hey, God, thank you again for this morning when we can share to worship you in song and word. Uh, Father, I just pray that we come to a better understanding of what you have done and how you have gone about doing and glorifying and magnifying your name through the cross of Christ, through regenerating those who need saving, such as myself. Father, thank you for the gift and hope and assurance that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you believe you have abundant life? Do you believe you, you have that? that you, do you believe it's possible? You're like, okay, that's a trick question. We're at church, right? <laughs> it's God, Jesus, Bible. I know. I know the answer. Yeah, but do you actually live it? That's kind of where we're getting at. The better question becomes is, what does Jesus mean by that? When he talks about that, we often filter that through our American minds, our Western culture of earthly abundance, stuff, things and stuff, the things I desire for my life, material, emotional, relational, whatever those things are. For example, whatever dollar amount I have, that brings me peace, whatever's in the bank. Whatever family relationships I have, that brings me peace. Um, whatever my life is to be ordered, it makes everything okay. All my relationships where I live, work, and play are just smooth as can be. Whatever that is, we kind of have that tendency to think of that. That's, that's it. That's what God is after in my life. What's wrong with those things? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> really. Unless that's what you're living for. Unless that's all you have. When we get back to Mark chapter 8, Jesus is going to make this statement. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? 
What can man do or give in return for his soul? There is this exchange that is going to take place, and we are going to have to make a return for our souls. So what do you have to give? That's what regeneration is about. That's where we began when we started this a few weeks ago, um, to come to terms with we have nothing to give, which is why we need to be saved, why we need to be regenerated. And so we talked about what that was, that we're, uh, we have to admit that we're powerless. The, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus talks about that. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? It, that those terms are utter bankruptcy in my life is what he's referring to. I'm powerless over my addiction, my brokenness, my sinful patterns, uh, that in my own power, my life is unmanageable. We, we talked about that. Then we, went, we, have to, we have to believe that God is the only one who can fully restore. He's the one that has the power, not me. I can't do this in and of myself. And then we trust him with our lives. We receive his grace. We receive that healing that comes. Titus 3 says, We are once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions, pleasures, passing our days in malice, envying, hated, and being hated by others. That's where we were. And so we are at a place now of what does it mean to take this life, this regeneration life that God has given, and express that in our life, right? That's where we are. The abundant life that now becomes a Christian is now following Christ. And so I just titled our sermon this morning, Following Christ in Forgiveness. It has to go and has to lead somewhere. That abundant life has to be expressed. God, the Father, did not spare His Son, but delivered Him up to the cross for us. God's gift to accomplish eternal life in your life and mine. And that has to be in our day, in our culture, as we live faith out. It has to be something tangible, right? If all we're doing is waiting around, man, I'm just trying to gut this life out and get to heaven, then what's the point? That's not the gospel. There are two kinds of forgiveness for the believer. And I just want to point this out. The first is from God, well, they're both from God's perspective, but there's two uh, means in which we need to understand forgiveness. And the one is God's uh, perspective of he sits in judgment, that God is holy. He is on his heavenly throne. Every sin of every believer is forgiven, all of them at the cross, because all of your sins were completely punished in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross, right? All of those things. Therefore, God's justice cannot hold you guilty when you repent, when you believe in Christ. There is, therefore, in Romans 8, what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? See, that's God's justification of you. At the time you come into salvation, you are washed, you are cleansed, you are justified before God. He has paid the price. That's the first category, is God as judge, holy, because He is. That's the only standard He has. It's His character. It's His nature. The second one is from God's perspective as a loving father. It's paternal, if you will. It's relational. It's his care and compassion for you. You see both of these in John 13 when Jesus is in the upper room before his crucifixion. They're all around the table. And for whatever reason that day, maybe because uh, God orchestrated it that way, that there was no you know, servant to wash people's feet as you came in to eat. So remember, they didn't sit at tables. They reclined. And so you're leaning up against somebody, and their feet are kind of right here, right? And so it was important for you to wash feet because it was just dirty, nasty, and gross. I mean, you don't let your kids stick their feet on the table, do you? <laughs> you know, I tried that once. It didn't go so well. 
So Jesus uses this example, and I got a picture that he let, he let this carry on for a while, and then all of a sudden he gets up. And they're around this, recl- I mean, it's a, it's a shallow table, they're laying down there. Recl- and I had to think, you know, Peter was probably close by. And, and again, I have no idea, but I just pictured Jesus going, I'm going to do him last. <laughs> just to make the point, right? And Jesus gets up in the middle of their dinner and, and starts washing their feet. And goes around, and Peter is watching this unfold in his life. And it finally comes to him, and what does he do? Oh no, Jesus, you're not washing me. And he, he gets who Jesus is. This is a, an understanding in Peter's mind of Jesus' divinity. That, and, he, and he makes a statement. I should be washing your feet, which is true. In other words, I should be bowing down to you. I should be worshiping. This is beneath you. You are Savior. You are Lord. You are, you are this grand God, and you're washing my feet. Oh, no way. And what does Jesus say? If I don't do this, you have no part of me. And all of a sudden, Peter gets it, right? And what does he say? Wash all of me. <laughs> he gets him, right? He understands immediately what he's referring to. What does Jesus say? You've already been washed. You've already been justified. You're clean. But we need to wash your feet. And that's the distinction. One is justification and God's judgment. One is paternal and God's fatherly care for you in a relationship. And that's your sanctification. And that's really what we're talking about. Forgiveness needs to be sought because even though you are justified, you have not yet been glorified. What a day that's going to be. Hey, that's another song we could sing. (laughs) Right? What a day that will be. No more sin, no more suffering. It's all done. And that's what we long for. Paul talks about that the world's groaning. We're longing for that. But we're not there yet. We are living here now in the means in which we still have trouble and tribulation. But we are washed. But we still need to wash our feet. And that is where this idea of following Christ leads you to this idea of forgiveness, the theology of what's behind forgiveness. So please don't be any un- or any delusion in your mind at all just because you may tolerate your sin god doesn't tolerate it he wants to wash your feet false teachers will say how can god be displeased by sin i thought he accepts us in christ if we have the righteousness of christ that's all he sees if we believe in god god gets angry with his children when they sin how can we believe god's forgiven us in the first place if you're a mom or dad do you have kids do you get angry with them Do they upset you? Our grandkids? Whatever, right? That makes no sense, but I have heard that. See, that's a category error. When you go to Hebrews chapter 12, that writer makes it very clear. Sin violates God's holiness. And because we, we have to make the category distinctions, I am still washed. I'm still clean. I'm not concerned about my salvation. It doesn't go anywhere. It's there. But God wants to grow and mature me in Christ. And the means and one of those ways you and I are to follow Christ, right? We're take up our cross and what? Follow. And one of those things we follow is in the area of forgiveness. And the Hebrew writer says this, the Lord disciplines who? Those he loves. So what's the implication? He's a loving father. I just don't let my kids go do whatever they want willy-nilly. Not a good plan as a parent, is it? Right? Or my grandkids, <laughs> as much as I love them, as imperfect as they are, right? I, you don't do that. 
You just don't let them go play in the street because they feel like it. Or, or you just don't give them the keys when they're five because I think, well, Dad drives, I want to drive too. Right? You don't do that. No one does that that loves their children. And God does the same thing with you and me. He loves those. He disciplines those he loves. And then listen, how does he do that? He explains that. He chastens every son whom he receives. That word chastens, I know it's not popular, but that's, you know, the board of, how does that, I forget, the board of education on the seat of learning. That's what my dad would say. <laughs> right? That's chastisement. It's discipline. Because he loves. It's not done. The discipline doesn't come because he's mad, because he's angry. When you discipline like that as a parent, I'm sorry, I'm getting off my thing, sorry. But when you do that as a parent, that's not a good plan. You don't discipline your children in anger or in those moments like that when you lose control. All your discipline should be idyllically in control. And there's a means in which you do it. The means is love. And I'm doing this out of that not because you've embarrassed me, because I'm angry, or because of whatever else happened. That's, that's not God's character. He's totally doing it because he wants to grow you in Christ. And that's where the abundant life starts. He's forgiven you, and then he has called you and me to do the same. Two categories. And yet there continues to be with every generation so much hurt, isn't there? So much pain in our lives, so much pain we see in the world. We are a long way from the perfections of heaven Again, as Paul says, the earth groans for. And as much as we desire to live heaven on earth and reflect that, to live heavenly as Christian people, we don't quite get there all the time, do we? See, I said we, sorry. I don't get there all the time, do I? You're like, no, you don't. <laughs> right? Just ask my incredibly awesome, wonderful wife. She'll let you know. Right? She will let you know. We long for the perfections of heaven, but in this life we have yet to see our glorification when we will all be made perfect. So what is God doing? God has left you and I saved to bear witness of this abundant life that he uses in our fallen nature, our sanctification, in other words, and all our imperfections. Therefore, listen, in the life of any church body, this body, there will be imperfections. There will be errors. There will be wrongdoings to one another. There will be wrong attitudes. There will be sins, and they will be at all levels. They will show up in the lives of our leaders here, myself included, mostly. They will occur in my life, the life of the staff, the life of everyone in this body, and the life of anybody in Christ. Remember what Paul said about himself? He was the chief of all sinners. And the fact that the more mature you grow in your nature and character of Christ, the more farther along you are in your maturity, you will recognize that so very much, just like Paul, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The more our sin, our poorness, if you will, bankruptcy comes to clarity, the more sensitive we become to it, which is a good thing in our maturity and growth because it drives us deeper into the arms of Christ, right? That's where it's leading to. It doesn't, the exact opposite is also, and you can see this maybe in, in people you know or, or other relationships that you have, if it's the exact opposite, what happens? Instead of driving you to Christ, what happens? You start to isolate. Bad idea. Really bad idea when you start to isolate and withdraw from fellowship, from those relationships that you have because there's something inside. There's sin that hasn't been forgiven, confessed, admitted. And so it should drive you to exercise forgiveness in Christ 
exercise the life of forgiveness in a church. And when that's missing, the church and this fellowship will be fractured. It will lack power. It will lack usefulness. It will lack joy and peace. It will just be missing. Jesus says, follow me. Which, by the way, in our regeneration on Tuesday nights, that's step number seven. We're not there yet, but we'll get there. And forgiveness is number eight, but we're kind of combining them both. Forgiveness is what God has done to you because he is a good God. When Moses, if you remember back in Exodus chapter 33, what does Moses want most of all? Of all the things God is asking to do, God, he says, basically, God, I want to see you. I want to I see you. He says, see his glory. Now, God can't let Moses do that because, again, God is holy. Moses is not. So what does he do? He puts him in this rock, sticks his hand over. that. God, again, it's metaphor. God doesn't have hands. But he's covering him, right? <laughs> and he passes by. And all Moses gets to see is his backside. That's to say, you can't see me because anyone who sees me dies because he is pure, because he's holy. And, again, that's a representation that you and I as human beings are not. And we need the Savior. We need what he is offering. And he says this. This is how God expresses himself to Moses as that process is taking place in Exodus chapter 33. The Lord, the Lord, a God of mercy and graciousness, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. That is the nature and character of the God you serve. That is amazing to me. To follow then Christ in that path of forgiveness because he has created a means in which this shows up in your life through Jesus Christ, through your justification. To follow Christ in the path of forgiveness is this. You and I are never more like God than when we forgive. You, when you do that, you experience the very thing God is doing to you. The very thing that God has expressed and experiencing on his side of it, we get to experience that, I'll say, horizontally to one another, right? To forgive one another. So what is forgiveness? In the Hebrew, it just means to lift, um, to carry away, to lift a burden, to remove. And that's what God has done for you and me in Christ, hasn't he? He has removed your sin in mind. He now makes that very clear to the follower. Again, that's your justification. That as a follower, you have been removed of all of your sin. And as a follower, you will apply that to your life and to the lives of others. Again, your sanctification. Washing your feet, if you will. So forgiveness is an act of grace. It is undeserved. You can't earn it. It comes out of an act of love for another. It says no matter what you've done, my bitterness or anger or all of those emotions I have, I will release those. I will have no animosity toward you. There will be no action for vengeance or retaliation. No guilt, no blame, no manipulation. Because if you're on the receiving end, you feel justified in doing so. There's no self-pity that... I was the one offended, but now I have the opportunity to give love and grace. And the very same thing God is doing to you. I guess in short, it is a transfer of justice to God. When you have to forgive, you are taking that from the person that has done something to you and offering that to God. You're, you're removing that and giving it to Him. 
Listen, your sin debt, by the way, it's not excused, right? Y'all understand that? It just doesn't go wink, wink, nod, nod, and get swept under the rug, does it? Your debt was paid for in full by a gracious, good God who willingly came to take all the punishment that God could amass on one person, and it would have to be God himself to do that to himself. Your debt was paid for. You see some of this in Matthew 18 as Jesus teaches about the unforgiving servant when you have the king and this, this slave comes and says, he's so far in the hole. There's no, his whole lifetime, his kid's lifetime, and that's how this would work. If, <clears throat> if I was uh, indebted to the king, then I couldn't pay it off, then my sons would, and their sons, and so on and so on. Do you understand? They would be, it would be perpetual servitude to the throne. And so he comes and he begs because there's no way. In essence, when you get the picture, there's his generation. It will be forever, in essence. There's no way for him to get out from under that. His family, his kids' family, his great, all the way down the line. And he begs and he pleads and the king had mercy on him, didn't he? And then he has a friend, a fellow slave, who owes him five bucks. He throws him in jail, chokes him, is beating the snot out of him because you owe me five bucks. In Jesus' story, he says, you wicked servant. Why didn't you have the same kindness I had, the same forgiveness that I had to you, to you, to your fellow servant? Do you see it? Now, I'll grant you this. For you and I, I won't make you raise your hands, but this is rather difficult for you and I, isn't it? Not easy to do. And I honestly don't believe it's supposed to be because it forces you, as a Christian, to rely on Jesus Christ. The spirit that is in you. Not in your own power, but in your weakness, he is made strong. When you see this, we saying, uh, was mentioned in our reading to owe no debt other than love. Paul says, don't owe anything except the debt of love. So again, typically we think about, oh, there's something I owe, money or whatever. He's not really talking about that, but don't owe the debt of forgiveness is what he's getting at. Love one another. Paul says it in this way in Ephesians, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, because of that justification, be imitators of God as beloved children. Sanctification. Wash your feet. Forgive. See, we're at a point where this really begins to show up in your life. In fact, if you repented in Christ, if you're truly a Christian and following Christ, you can say, I've been forgiven, therefore I can forgive. You're free. You're free from whatever would hold you to someone else. God already knows, by the way, what's been done. You just have to confess to Him. And you just maybe need someone to come alongside and walk with you. If you know anything about Corey Ten Boom and the Holocaust as a survivor... It's an amazing story. If your grandkids haven't read it, you need to read the book, or your kids. Where her family took in Jews to protect them. So the short story is, she survives. Most of her family doesn't. But she survives. She's gone through all this horror through Nazi occupation. Hiding Jews, getting caught. Part of her family is getting executed, sent off to concentration camps. She recounts part of her life, and she says this about forgiveness. She says, quote, Forgiveness is like that bell rope that you pull. She's referring to a bell tower at the church. It takes, and remember, they're a lot bigger than the one we have. (laughs) 
It takes a lot of energy to get the bell ringing. But when you do, there is a sweet sound that comes as you pull those heavy ropes that get the bell of freedom ringing. But if you stop pulling on the rope, silence will come once again. On a continual basis, it will be easier each time if you keep pulling the rope of forgiveness. It will be easier, but you can never stop pulling. Man, that's a good picture, isn't it? You think about those cathedrals in the church. I've only been to a few in England, and, and how big those bells are and how big the rope is. In uh, some of the old movies where they ring the bells, you see the kids doing it, and they're flying off the ground like 10 feet because it takes them up so high. I mean, it takes a lot to pull those things. But once you get started, why do you forgive? Here's some reasons we need to forgive. One, because we follow Christ. Colossians 3, verse 12 says this, Put on then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved. You're putting these things on. You're assuming these things. Why? Because you're following Christ. You're being sanctified. You are maturing in Christ. You're growing up in Christ. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Right? See it? That's why. That's why you're going to do this, because you're a follower of Christ. Another reason is it's a surrender of justice and vengeance to God. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about that. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. The reason, I think, in part, what you're seeing in culture is because they don't believe that. This is all they have. So what do they have to do? They have to take their pound of flesh out now. You as a Christian know, it may be unfair. Whatever you've experienced, whatever is done, it truly could be so unfair. But yet there is a just judge that will settle accounts at some point in history. But if you take that away, what, all you, what do you have? I mean, it's like the wild, wild west today. And you have to get it while you can get it. And God says, no, you're going to surrender that idea of justice and vengeance to God and leave it to him. That's why. See, forgiveness frees you to love others despite their sin. Look, you've got to no longer see through the lens of sin, but rather see through the lens of grace that God has reconciled even them. As hard as that is. Why? Because just look in the mirror. Right? Just look in the mirror. Reasons why we don't forgive? I got a bunch. Why is it hard to forgive? Well, there's some misconceptions. This always shows up in re-engaged, our, our marriage, 14-week uh, marriage group. Uh, by the way, happening in August, so if you need to want to sign up, it's really good. But this is one of the hard ones because of some of these misconceptions. One of those misconceptions is for, you know, forgiveness gets equated with forgetting. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Somehow, Scripture says God has remembered your sin as far as east is from the west. That's eternal. But for you and I, it's hard for you to forget, isn't it? So forgiveness is not forgetting. And it's not even necessarily reconciliation, although those are all the goals and potential goals. 
Scripture says, as much as you're able to live at peace with all men, do so. But it takes two to be reunited. You don't excuse sin or, or say what was, what was wrong or the suffering that you endured is, oh, it's okay. It's not okay. There are no excuses for sin. God hates sin. Hebrews chapter 1. And the result of that is death and justice for sin. That's Romans 6. But Christ died for. And even in that, sin is never okay. Another reason is just to be free from the guilt and the demand of justice. Sin must be paid for, and God has done that, and he will execute his judgments. But do you trust him to do so? Do you trust God to do so? Forgiveness is not denying the hurt or dismissing it in some fashion. It doesn't whitewash anything. It doesn't sweep, try to sweep it under the rug. You don't stuff your anger. You should be angry. God's angry by sin, yours and mine. But Christ suffered for that too. See, forgiveness will free you when you get to that place that you can honestly work through whatever pain has been done to you, whatever grieving you're going through, the release of resentment to God. Forgiveness is not pardoning from certain consequences. It doesn't make things go away, does it? Whatever's transpired. It's like, I use the example, I think years ago as students, we did this, uh, had a bunch of uh, toothpaste uh, tubes, right? And we're talking about things like this, and especially our words. When you say your words, it's like you want to just reach out and grab them and stuff them back in, right? <laughs> so you squeeze all the toothpaste out on the plate. Oh, it was a race. Okay, now put it back in. <laughs> oh my goodness, the mess. It was awesome. <laughs> but, but that's it. Once it's out there, you can't get it back. But it can be forgiven. Listen, forgiveness is not a feeling or an emotional decision. It's an act of your will. It's a matter of faith, knowing God, again, will one day judge in His righteousness. Forgiveness is not trusting someone who's just broken trust with you. We talk about this in, in re-engaged in our marriage thing. Look at the two things going on. Forgiveness has to do with the past, Right? Something happened back here, and I can forgive that. Trust has everything to do about the future. Can I trust you as we move forward in this relationship? I want to, but man, you hurt. I've hurt my incredibly awesome, wonderful wife. I've hurt her many times. And I, I can remember these conversations. I mean, we walked out on each other a couple times through our, our pretty much when we got started, because that's where it was rough. <laughs> but the issue became was, Look, at, I understand I've hurt you desperately and poorly and, and just horrendously. But I have the rest of my life. We are in a covenant relationship. I'm not going anywhere. I told her, the day you can you know, pick me up and carry me on the couch, that's where I'll sleep. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet. I just keep adding more weight. <laughs> Makes it harder. <laughs> but the day that happens, you can do that or whatever. The deal was to try to reinstate that, hey, we are in a covenant relationship. I'm not going anywhere. I know I screwed up. I know I screwed up a lot. But I have the rest of my life to prove to you that I am trustworthy, that I truly do love you. I don't want to hurt you, but this, some of this stuff comes inside of me and it's like, ah, right? Makes me angry. Which is a hint, by the way, but that's, a, that's another topic. Again, it's not emotional. It's an act of your will. You can forgive. Granted, you may not feel like it. You may not want to. I get all of that. But as a follower of Christ, it can be done in him. 
It can be done. There are a whole bunch more I have, but how do you forgive someone? How do you know you've forgiven them? Do you think of wishing harm or suffering on them still? Or do you pray, God, be kind and gracious to them as you've been kind to me? God, bless them with the grace they need in their life today. Go before them. Remove the temptations out of their own way. This may be new to you. It may be you're thinking, there's just no way. But understand you're not the first to feel that too, okay? Psalms 94 says this, O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord. They afflict your heritage. They kill the widow, the soldier, and they murder the fatherless. And they say the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. See, you're not the first to feel that way. He continues, understand. So this is God talking now. This is the response to that in Psalms 94. Understand. I love this. So here's God, you know, responding to this. Understand. That's like Jesus said, you know, if you have ears to hear, listen. Hey, 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 listen. <laughs> Understand this. Oh, dullest of people. <laughs> I love that. I love how God interacts with us in a lot of those ways. I mean, as if you should know this already. You dull people. And it gets harsher. Fools. When will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? Do you understand what God just did right there? He's declaring he is God of all things, creator of all things. He sees your life and every piece of it. He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man's knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, they are but a breath. God will bring his justice in due time, and it's not your time. Okay? That's the point. Do you trust him? Do you trust him to forgive? In Christ, forgiveness is what we do. It's who we are as a people. We are to forgive people. We forgive others. People who live the abundant life, people who are healthy and strong, repentant people, followers of Christ, live this way. They forgive as they've been forgiven. They understand the power that it comes from. They understand who has ever offended me has offended God more. You understand? I may be offended or I may have offended somebody, but guess what? God is more offended. And if the more offended can forgive, someone who has been offended lesser certainly ought to, don't you think? Therefore, I can forgive because it's a lesser offense than it is to God. It's to love another as myself, and I want God to love me, and he has, because I'm a such a sinful wretch. I have the power to forgive because Christ is in me. God loves you. He came to set you free from this. And all the emotions and the angst, all of those things to be rid of it. I'm amazed now that I'm over 40. Um, how, how much you hang on to the past. And the things that have hurt you maybe when you grew up. Maybe someone that was supposed to protect you had authority in your life or whatever, the abuse maybe that came. They're either no longer around or they have since passed away. I'm, all, I'm amazed 
how that still affects your future because of unforgiveness, unreconciliation that, ha- that, that hasn't happened, the release of all of those things, the hurts, the pains, and this offer of forgiveness that has happened. How do you forgive? Here's how. You have to prepare your heart and mind. You have to recall Christ's forgiveness of your sin. Stand in front of the mirror and look deeply into your eyes to know that God has loved you. He sees right through into you and the things that you try to hide and I try to hide. He sees everything right down to the finest of details. And then pray, help me forgive as you have forgiven me. Here's a little acronym I'll leave with you. It's free. It's literally free. No charge. Just kidding. (laughs) Face the truth. Face the truth. Be honest about sin in your life, the sin of others. Evaluate it by God's word. Go to the word. Be clear as to what it is. Don't just say, oh, yep, I'm a sinner just like all the rest of us because it's so safe, isn't it? I even catch myself. I say we instead of I. Name it. Be specific about what it is in your life. Don't deny it and don't minimize it. R is release the hurt. Give that pain to God. Confess it. Listen, he knows. He cares. He is waiting for you to unload it at the cross. How do you know? How do you know he cares? How do you know he loves? How do you know all this is real? Because Christ physically went to the cross. He lived and ministered in time and history. He entered into his own creation. We'll celebrate this in a few weeks. And and physically bore your sin. Beaten beyond recognition. His body was just, just destroyed and they still nailed him to a cross. What more do you want him to do? What, what more do you want him to prove how much he loves you? How far he was willing to go? What, how far he was willing to relinquish his relationship with God to be the sin bearer, even though he was perfect in every way? Release your hurt. Christ suffered for your sin so you don't have to keep carrying it around. Grieve, yes, the damage of your sin, but surrender it to God and leave it at the cross. He is and trust God's justice. He will have justice. You transfer your claim of justice to Him. Fairness to God. Let Him repay the debt. God will judge righteously and avenge the sin perfectly. Listen, you, this may not happen, but you're giving up all your rights for an apology that may never come. That has to be okay. Because it may never come. Or vengeance that, man, you wish this would happen to them because they hurt me so bad. Or to keep dwelling on that sin, to keep, keep having it in your mind from your past or whatever. You have to get to a place where you entrust justice to God. Again, it's why we see what we see in culture. Because if there is no justice in God, let's just get our pound of flesh now. The last E is exalt Christ. Thank God for paying for your own sin. Thank Him for loving your offender enough to forgive Him as well through Christ. Ask God to help you love your offender supernaturally through the Holy Spirit that is now dwelling in you as a Christian, whereby you are set free from all the guilt and shame. Don't let the world, don't let that 
that person in authority or abuse that took place. You don't let them have authority in your life. They're not maybe even thinking about you anymore. Or again, they may pass away, but you're still letting that fester in your life. Again, can't take the consequences away, but there are so many hurting people. Allow Christ to use that to be glorified in that weakness that it can be magnified to help somebody else see the love of Christ and what he's done to transform you, to free you in abundant life. To praise God for the freedom from all your sin, your sins and the sins done against you, that they are forgiven. Listen, God loves you more than you can comprehend and I can comprehend. But God's love for your offender is just as deep. See, sometimes our greatest witness of Christ's love is to an offender like Corey Tenboom, to the victims, to the guards that killed her family. Christ can use someone like Paul, who hunted down Christians before he became one and destroyed families, or Peter, who denied Christ, who at the very end said, I will go with you there to the end, and that fast he bailed. And Christ restored them and forgave. Through Christ, you no longer must be controlled by your sin or the sin that has been done to you, but to forgive. Listen, he came to set you free so there is peace with God, but also to have peace in your relationships, in your sanctification. That's what Jesus said, didn't he? John 14. My peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. Our prayer today is that you would join us in committing to following Christ Follow him completely. The first thing is to recognize that you're a sinner, that you're poor, blind, and weak, wounded, sick, sore, all of those things. To repent of those, to be baptized in his name, to come to Christ. And when you are healed, allow him to teach you to be a follower, to give your life away in forgiveness as you go day by day where you live, work, and play. That's what forgiveness looks like. That's the kind of people God is asking us to be, to glorify Him. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your gift of forgiveness that we all so desperately desire and need. Father, thank You for what that has brought to us, that there is therefore now no condemnation to us. Father, we find ourselves still living in a fallen world, with all its hurts and pains and tribulations and trials, some done to us, some caused by us. So, Father, I pray that we would be a forgiving people, that we would continue to grow in our understanding of how deep this can be in our life, that we could experience the freedom that the cross of Christ has done for us, removing all of our guilt and shame. So, Father, as we come around the Lord's table, bless our time today in complete forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen.